today we're going to be talking about, um, we're taking a break in between series. We're going to do a standalone message today, something that was laid on my heart as we were thinking about what to preach on. And I think that this is vitally important in this season. And today we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. Aren't you excited you came, right? You're like, man, I could have used this on Thursday, right? Like that's Right, there's that moment, right, where we're like, hey, there's, there's conflict going on. I want to know how to resolve these things. And I think, it's, I think it's good as we think about the holiday season and what's going on in people's lives and everything that we're doing, that it's good to know that God is really concerned about us resolving conflicts and that it's something that's vitally important and sorely lacking in today's culture. So how do we resolve conflicts and restore relationships, and how do we do so in such a way that also honors Jesus in the middle of the process? I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible has a ton to say about resolving conflict. The Bible was, is God's word given to us, and he knows us, and he knows our life, and he knows our situations, and so he says, I got to put a lot in there about how to resolve conflict between two people. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I would say this, as we get into this message, there, are going to be, there may come a time in this moment where you're like, man, you know what? I really wish so-and-so was here so that they could hear this message, right? I really wish, I really wish someone, there's somebody in your mind right now, I'm guessing, going, man, I wish they were here to hear this message because they could really use it. And I would say my encouragement to you is this, they're not here, but you are which means God has something for you today, right? I hope, it, I hope that this challenges you as well as encourages you. And today's, uh, we're going to be in selected scriptures throughout the Bible, um, but our central theme is really taken out of Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That our aim in life, something that God calls us to, is to, if it's possible for us, to live peaceably with all people. That means the people that you disagree with. The people that you don't line up with politically, socially. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with with all. So today we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. Before we jump in, I'm going to give some disclaimers on the front end. Number one is this, is what we're going to be talking today about is the run-of-the-mill general conflict that you have in your life, okay? The 80% of the things that you deal with, that's what we're going to be talking about today. There are times when, when there's crimes committed Right where we just get the authorities involved with right away. There are times when there are things that are so heinous that happen that you go, you know what, we're just calling the police. We're just getting litigation. We're just going to get other protections. And I just want you to know, like, if you come to me as a pastor, you're like, I'm looking for some counsel, and you're like, a crime was committed against me, we will call the authorities together. So that, we're not going to talk about those, those big ones today. We're not talking about the exceptions to the rule today. We're going to be talking about the 80% of run-of-the-mill conflicts that you run into. 
And there's also, which is really interesting in this verse, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There are times when you're going to make efforts to live peaceably with people and they don't want anything to do with that, okay? That is not under your control. What the scripture says is, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And peaceably doesn't mean that you forsake the commands of God. It doesn't mean that you water down the scriptures. It doesn't mean that you have to, that you have to um, diminish what God says. There will be times when you need to stand up for what is right, but you can still do so in a way that honors the Lord. And sometimes you can do all that you can, and somebody doesn't want to live at peace with you. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. It's important that we work through conflict. It's important that we do that. And today we're going to be talking about a pattern that I found to be really helpful when working through conflict. And the pattern is this. Look up, look in, look out, look forward. Look up, look in, look out, look forward. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so we're going to start with look up. Whenever you're in conflict, look up first. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. This is a powerful prayer to pray to the Lord. And I will say it's very powerful, it's very poignant, and at times it's very painful. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. What you're asking God is, you know what, God? Look at my heart. Look at my motives. Look at my mind. Look at everything. And you know what? If there's anything that's grievous, if there's anything in me that's amiss, if there's anything that doesn't honor you, would you just bring that up to me? Would you just show me all my sin? That's what you're praying. Would you just show it to me, Lord? Would you, would you, would you look at my thought life? Would you look at my heart? And if there's anything that's grievous, if there's anything that doesn't honor you, I want you to just... Bring that up to me right now. It's a powerful prayer. It's a painful prayer. Because God will answer your prayer. Oh, sure, we can look at that. If you take time to let God bring those things to mind. What if every time we got into a conflict, the first thing we did was look up and go, is this worth fighting for? Is this worth mentioning? Is there something going on in my heart and in my mind that's amiss? Am I reading this situation right? God, I want to know. You ever had those moments where somebody did something to you and you got immediately like ridiculously offended? Have you ever been cut off in traffic? Right? People chuckle. <laughs> I saw one guy get cut off because I was the one doing it. Right? Like I... You ever, you ever had that moment where someone cuts you off and you're like, how dare they? Do they know who I am? Do they know where I have to be, right? And then maybe you get across on the outside of them and you do the Midwestern thing to them. You don't do anything with your hands, right? We just look at them with disappointment. You ever had that moment? You're like, you speed up, you get around them, you look at them, and you're just like, Right? And maybe that person knew that they cut you off and they were like, 
sorry. Sorry. You're in conflict with that person. You don't even know them. And you're like, are you going to let that go with you for the rest of your day? That someone cut you off in traffic? You got into a conflict with someone you don't even know that you don't have the opportunity? They go, God, would you search my heart in this moment? Maybe somebody said something to you that you found offensive. Maybe there was something that bothered you by what they did or the tone in which they said it. And you go, God, is there anything going on in my heart, in my mind? Is there anything sinful in me in this moment? And God, if you wait, God will bring things to mind. It says, if, see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's the way of Christ. And so sometimes when we get conflict, when, when somebody says something or does something to us and we get into conflict and we pray to God and we say, God, would you search my heart? Would you search my mind? Would you show me if I'm, at, if I'm amiss in any of this and lead me in the way everlasting? Sometimes in that moment, God through prayer will speak to your heart and in that moment he'll say, I want you to overlook that. I just need you to overlook that. Sometimes somebody does something to you and God, what he wants you to do is overlook that offense and not hold it against them. Sometimes the person's socially awkward and says something off to you and borderline offensive. God says, you know what? You just need to overlook that. You need to overlook that. Now, overlook a sin means overlook it. It doesn't mean write it down and use it for ammunition later, okay? That's not what overlooking a sin is like, oh man, I've been overlooking sins all day, right? Like, just piling up that list of things that I overlooked so I can trap them with it later. Like, that's not overlooking a sin. Overlooking a sin is going, you know what? Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they were this, maybe that. You know what? I'm just going to overlook that. And there's honorable things, and there's, there's times when God calls us to do that, to say, just overlook it. Move forward. Don't hold it against them. But there are other times when God says, you know what? I've searched your heart. I've searched your mind. I know what's going on. And yes, there is something that you should bring up. Yes, that is wrong against you. Yes, you can move ahead with that. God, through prayer, asking him to search our heart and go, you know what, God, I'm going to move ahead, but not in the same kind of fervor that I was in this moment. But even then, we don't go right to that person. Remember, it's look up, and then it's look in. Look in. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5 says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see. Take place to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a great illustration that Jesus gives us. This is the words of Jesus. And it's the end of one of the greatest sermons ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. And he gives this great picture of, of what's going on. Like He's like, okay, if you want to know how to interact with people, the first thing you got to do is you got to understand that there may be a speck in your brother's eye. There might be something amiss in your brother's eye. There might be something going on that you want to get at 
But the reality is, is you have a log in your face. You have a giant log in your eye. He says, why are you so concerned about the speck in your brother's eye when you got big issues going on right in your face? We do this, don't we? We're just like, oh, hey, come here. You know what? You know what? You did this wrong, and you did this wrong, and you did this wrong. And, did, and the guy's like, I can't. It's hard for you to reach with the giant log that's in, your, in between us. Right? He says, you have a log in your eye, and you're worried about a speck of dust in somebody else's. You got big things going on in your life. You ever get to that place where someone said something offensive to you, but you realize that you have a problem with anger? Or maybe they said something that was not very flattering to you, or maybe they aired some laundry in your life that you were hoping that they wouldn't. And while they may say something that maybe they probably shouldn't have, the reality is, is that you're obsessed with your self-image and you're obsessed with what people will think and you're obsessed with manipulating and controlling to make sure that you look like the hero of every situation. Or maybe someone's starting to try to manipulate you, but you're the ones who's constantly pulling the strings in everybody else's relationships and lives. Sometimes we get offended and that actually opens us up to the possibility that there's something wrong with us. That there's this opportunity to deal with the logs that are in our own eyes. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect in order to, in order to bring something up. But the reality is once you've looked up to God and you've asked him to search your heart and your mind and you've looked in your own heart and you looked in your own life and you know the, the issues that you wrestle with and, and you start to work on those things in that moment, by the time you get to someone else and talk to them about their stuff, you're going to deal with them in a way that is very different than if you just would have said something in the moment. You'd be more humble and gracious If it means that we're dealing with our own stuff, we'll have the humility to move forward. And right thinking with conflict means that we spend the bulk of our time resolving the inconsistencies in us before we even talk to them. Could you imagine if both sides in a conflict practiced this, just these first two steps? Look up, look in. Could you imagine what your life would be look like if you look up and look in? Like, look up to God, look inside yourself before you go to anybody else. And in this moment, at this time, you might even need someone to bring some perspective to your life. Maybe there's a situation that you're trying to handle, and you're going to do the best you can, but maybe you need some words of wisdom. Maybe you need somebody in your life to speak into your life, to, to help you see. And I would say this, if you're going to bring up any conflict with a person, do your very best to select who you tell very carefully and make sure that they are more concerned with you becoming more like Jesus than stroking your ego. And maybe they can help point out some inconsistencies in you before you move forward. But you look up 
God, search me. You look in, you go, God, is there anything in me? Okay, there's these issues. How can I deal with these things? How can I resolve them or be put steps in place to work on them in this process? Look up, then look in, and then look out. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. If you're going to bring up a conflict, what's your goal? Is it to resolve it? You need to ask yourself that. Is if the goal is to resolve the conflict, if that's why you want you want to get something resolved, if the goal is peacemaking, then our actions need to reflect that. And that means that you will give that person opportunity to settle things privately. To settle things privately. I've said this before at this church that that you really know that you're a part of a community at Ignite, you know that you're really a part of it when you've either had to ask for forgiveness or extend mercy to someone else. That's when you know that your lives are rubbing up against each other and you've spent enough time next to each other to offend one another. That the rough edges of you are now rubbing up against the rough edges of that person. And once you've said, hey, you know what? I need to apologize for something. I said something that was out of line. Or, you know what? What you did really hurt me. When you've got to that place where you've extended mercy or you've had to ask for forgiveness, you know that you're living in closer community. And what, what this is saying is, is, is hey, listen, if, you, if someone sins against you, if there's issues that you have, go to that person and settle these things privately. Settle them privately, just between you and them. And I would say the vast majority of conflict in this church happens on this level. First off, you're like, wow, there's conflict in this church? Yes. Do you know why? Because there's people in it. And the vast majority of conflict gets resolved on this level. And you're like, I don't hear anything about it. Exactly. It's between two people and it's not your business. And they've settled it. And then they move on. And you know what's really amazing? That when you've had to ask for forgiveness, of which I've had to do a lot, that when, they're, when they forgive you, that just makes your relationship so much stronger. It, it really is amazing when you go, wow, they were really gracious with me when I was being a fool. I'm really grateful that they would forgive me. You've won your brother over. The relationship is stronger just between the two of you. Sometimes that is what's needed and sometimes it needs to go a little bit further. And if, if, the, if it still persists and there's still issues, then you take two or three witnesses with you. The behavior or the action is still causing conflict between the two of you. It's persisting. There's a lack of taking responsibility. 
So you go, okay, I need to bring some other people into this. We're going to widen the circle just a little bit. Two or three people. Two or three people need to come and be witness to the conversation that's happening. Sometimes they can serve as arbitrator or mediator. This is a great time to bring in a a neutral party to be able to go, okay, here's our issue, this and this, what do you see? And have them speak into it. And often what what works out really well is if you select a person, if you're going to go back to the person who's offended you, to select somebody that they respect and go, how can we... Because here's the thing, we want to resolve this. This is the goal. We want to be in unity again. We want to get this taken care of. And it's getting serious, and it's really hurting us. And, and I brought these people with to, to show you the seriousness of what's going on and what's happening in this moment. It can be very helpful. And sometimes, a lot of times, this works. Someone can help navigate two opposing parties to come to an agreement. And they serve as a witness that, yes, this happened, and this is the action steps that came out of it. If that doesn't happen, you tell it to the church. You, you expand the, the people getting involved, going, this is such a serious issue that we have to have more people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, beyond this, start speaking into this. This is this is getting very, very serious. It's being very hurtful. This means team leaders, elders, members, getting involved in these issues. By the time this takes place, it's causing significant strife. But the hope is that by bringing it to this stage, you still gain your brother. You still gain the person back that that continues to sin against you and not take ownership. And you hope that this person will repent turning away from what they have been chasing and working on the things that need to be worked on. The goal is to help this person work through what they need in order to do what they're called to do, which is to act like Christ and resolve the conflict. And if that doesn't even work, then what, what happens there is you Treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector, meaning they've so owned their sin, they've so identified with this that their heart is calloused towards the things of God. And, and Gentiles and tax collectors were those who were outside of the promise. And so what Jesus was saying is they're not acting as if God lives in them. Pray for them. Evangelize them. Maybe even, you might even need to take distance from them. But they're not part of this But what we hope is, and what what the vast majority of conflicts happen is they get resolved before they ever get to this. If we walk through the steps of look up, look in, look out, walk that chain of command as things escalate. Nowhere in this does it say gossip. Um, I know Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, but he would say lay off social media, right? Even the passive-aggressive stuff, you know, the stuff that you write, we're like, don't you just hate it when some people do things? People are like, yeah, I hate it when they do things. You feel somehow validated because someone else has got keyboard courage like you do? Right? Go to them one-on-one. If you need to bring more people, then bring them. If you need to bring more people, then bring them. It gets to a place where just like they're not turning from their wickedness and they're turning from the, not turning from their sin and 
will pray for you. We'll pray for you. But the goal is unity. The goal is to, is to resolve this conflict. Look up, look in, look out, and then look forward. This is the goal. Psalm 133 says this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the head of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You get the first verse, everything after that is probably a bit obscure. So we're going to walk through this. Okay. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Doesn't it feel great to be in right relationship with people? Doesn't it feel great to go, we might have differences of opinions, but the reality is we're of one heart and one mind. Man, that's amazing. How, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In fact, if I were to describe it, it's like oil on the head of Aaron that goes down his beard and on his collar. You know what I'm saying? Right? Isn't that great? You're like, who's Aaron and why? Why? Why do we have this here? So Aaron is a guy in the Bible. Aaron is the brother of Moses. Okay, so he's the, and Aaron serves as the priest. And so what the, the high priest's job is this. He stands in the gap between humanity and God. That's what the priest does. He's the intermediary. And so when he's, when he's there and he's standing there, he offers sacrifices for the people. He's, God, he's, he's mankind's representative to God. Okay, that's a scary place to be. Right? And so he's, he stands up for the nation of Israel and says, we have all sinned, here's our sacrifice. Here's how we're going to make payment for that. And God will accept that, and, he, and then, and then he, the priest's job to go back and go, remember the things of God. And when the chief priest, when the high priest was selected, and the first one was Aaron, what they did is they took oil and they anointed Aaron with it. Okay, so it's oil, and they would pour it out onto the head of the high priest. And what would happen is it would run down excessive amounts of oil. This is not like sprinkling or a little spray bottle. This is pouring out, right? And there's so much of it that it's starting to run down his face, down his beard, drips off his beard onto his robe. And the reason why they would anoint someone with oil, it was to communicate God's anointing, God's blessing, God's, like he just says, God's favor and God's selection is just pouring out over this person. To anoint somebody is to show God's favor and blessing just to be poured out over it. It also shows that God invented beard oil. Every time I put on my sandalwood oil, every morning, I think of Aaron and brothers dwelling in unity. I don't, but I'm going to now. So going to now, right? And so it's like, it's like when brothers dwell in unity, it's like, it's like when God anoints something. It's like the blessing that just pours out and there's so much, it's just lavish blessing. 
When you're in right relationship with people, it's like God smiles on you, right? It's like that feeling of like, oh, isn't this amazing? There's laughter, there's joy, there's relationship, and it just feels like God is just pouring out blessings so much so that it starts to run off your face and onto the robe. It's wonderful. Unity does that. And it also talks about dew. So it talks about oil and it talks about dew. Good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the, on the mountains of Zion. Dew is wonderful for flourishing, isn't it? Like dew is that gentle moisture that falls on the soil. It softens up the soil and makes it fruitful, Right? And what I love about this is the contrast between Hermon and Zion. So Hermon was a, a common hill in, in the region of Israel. Mount Zion was the holy place. It's where people met with God, right? And so, so you have Mount Hermon, you have Mount Zion. You have the common things and you have the spiritual things. And when it says, when brothers dwell in unity, it's like a dew. It's the softening of the soil in the common things of your life and in the spiritual things of your life. In the things that you think you're every day, and your time when you put on the Sunday best, right? When brothers dwell in unity, your work goes better. Your life goes better. You're, you're not thinking about and stewing on things. You're, it's just the softening up of, of your work life and your relationships and your leisure and your rest. And at the time when you go and worship, there's this softening of your heart that, that there's flourishing your life. That when you come to church or when you spend time in the word, when you go to God, there's this beautiful beautiful flourishing that happens. When brothers dwell in unity, when relationships are right, things just seem to go better. They don't eat up your time. They don't make you bitter of heart. They don't, they don't affect your work life. They don't affect your spiritual life in a way that is negative. It, it brings about this beautiful thing. And it says, if we could just look forward to that, if we could just stop thinking about how much this, and we actually work towards forgiveness, if we work towards unity, if we work towards resolving the conflict, how much better for all of our lives in all of our areas of our life would it go for us? And so often what happens is it's just a conversation away. You look up, you look in, you look out, and often what happens is you say, hey, this really bothered me when you said this. This really hurt when this happened. And you give them the opportunity to ask for forgiveness in your life. I'd say about 13 years ago, somebody said something that hurt me really bad. It was something, someone I trusted and who I respected and I looked up to. And he said something in a moment. And it really hurt. And what I decided to do was not talk to that person. Just distance myself. Because it hurt. And in time, I forgot about it. And I just was like, oh, whatever, I'm just moving on, moving forward, whatever. And every once in a while, it would creep back up in my heart and my mind about how much it hurt. And then last year, he reached out to me out of the blue. He was in town. He wanted to meet up. I said, all right, I've got to have that conversation. 
So I went and had the conversation. I sat down and said, hey, listen, you know why we haven't talked in a long time, right? And he said, yeah, I know. He said, I said something really stupid, and I want you to know that it was about me, what was going on in my heart and my mind at that time. It had nothing to do with you, and I'm really sorry that I took it out on you. It was a five-minute conversation, and it restored our relationship. But you know what makes me really sad? I let myself be robbed of 13 years of a relationship with him because I wouldn't have the conversation. How much, how much richer would my life have been had I just had the conversation and said what you said hurt and let him apologize for it? 13 years. Gone. Because I wouldn't have the conversation. Friends, I pray that you have the conversation. I really hope that this is helpful to you to look up to the Lord, to look in, to look out with the goal of looking forward. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And if you've walked through these things and somebody still doesn't want that, then know that you did what you could. You can rest in that and pray for them that one day you can have a restored relationship. But if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, we're going to remember of what Jesus did for us. He's his death, burial, and resurrection, his giving of his body and the shedding of his blood. But before we do that, there's going to be a time to reflect, to ask God to search our hearts and know our minds and our thoughts. And if God brings anything up, there'll be a chance to confess that. And we get to be reminded of what Christ did for us because here's the deal. No one has offended me more than I've offended God. That's the reality. We were in a tremendous conflict, me and God, all of us with God, and we wronged him by sinning against him. The conflict, we are 100% in the wrong, and he's 100% in the right. But you know what Jesus did even though we were 100% in the wrong? at great cost to himself, went to the cross, paid for our sin, forever removing it from our account and fully reconciling us back to him. Conflict resolution isn't just good for us. It shows the world what the gospel of Jesus Christ is like. Let's pray.